0: It has been a a joy to be here, and those of y'all that hung around late last night, um, thank you for staying, and boy, the presence of the Lord is in this place. He's here, and and last night I felt like one of the things that he was doing was just really touching deep wounds, um, touching places uh, in your heart that... You know, maybe maybe you've avoided or maybe has just been something that has just been that hold back. And, and I just believe today that we're going to see again the Lord touch places in your heart. and um, but But I'm expectant of what the Lord's going to do. One of the prayers that I've been praying is, God, would you increase my faith to match your movement? And every place that I go and every nation that I'm going into, um, every person that I'm setting before, I'm asking for the Lord because we know that faith is the currency of heaven, right? Like you you can't you can't do anything apart from faith. If we want to please the heart of God, it's not by how good we are, it's not by our church attendance. It's not by if you're a cell group leader, if you have a title, you know, all of those things are wonderful and all of those things are things we should be doing. But if we want to please and move the heart of the Father, and it only happens in faith, and so that means that that we have to come with expectation. And so this morning, I hope that that you have expectation. I was listening to um, just a, a book on the way here, and um, one of the things that 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 the author said in the book is that you know that God is supernatural, and that when God, when there is not supernatural things that happen. in the the presence of God, then we have to question what's actually happening. Because he lives in the realm of the supernatural, it's actually God has to work at not being supernatural. You ever thought about that? And so when we operate in the natural and what we see in churches in the natural and the things that we can obtain, we have to really then begin to question, has the presence of the Lord touched that? Because when the Lord comes into a place, supernatural things happen because it's just who he is. It's just who he is. And so when he begins to move in a place, he's going to do supernatural eruptions inside of you, and sometimes we don't understand them. Sometimes we're looking at it saying, this is very, very uncomfortable. Well, of course it's uncomfortable because his kingdom is invading ours. And so this morning, my heart and my prayer, as I got up this morning as I've been preparing and asking the Lord what he wants to do, I've just said, God, would you be who you are? And would you come in the supernatural of who you are? God, would you help us to just, would you pull back the veil over our vision so that we can see you for who you are? God, help us not to minimize you, not to minimize your glory. Not to try to confine you to what we feel comfortable with, what is churchy, right? We've been doing church. There's a lot of churches in America, right? Would you guys agree? There's a lot of churches in America. America's in a really bad state. How can there be so many churches, so many churches, so many confessing Christians, and our nation be in the state that it's in? Because we haven't invited the one that we gather for to come in and just to wreck us. And so this morning, I I just kinda wanna give you a, a kind of a warning, that if you want to see a move of God in your life this morning, I believe that you need to begin praying now, God, raise my faith, raise my faith. God, you're moving, you're speaking. You're doing supernatural things. God, would you raise my faith to match the movement of what you are doing in this place? Because if your faith will align with his movement, there is nothing impossible for what he would do inside this church, within your city, within your state, within our nation and the nations. So I just want to open us up in a word of prayer. And, and I'm just going to ask you to open your hands. And this is just nothing supernatural about this, you know, but, but it is a posture. And sometimes we have to posture physically what we want God to do spiritually. And so, so as you open your hands, it, it's just this willingness of saying, God, I'm open to receive all that you have to say. And I want you to pray with your eyes open, okay, because that's actually not illegal in the Bible. You can do that. And, and, and actually, it's a really good practice to pray with your eyes open because sometimes as you're praying, you need to look around at, 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 at who you're praying for and who and, and, and you concentrate on him and how you're praying to him and, and and you're asking him to speak to you even as you're praying because, right, I mean, God answers the prayers that he initiates, right? He drops from the heavens the words he wants us to cry back to him. And those are the places that he touches and he moves. And so as you pray, you open your eyes and you say, God, is there there anyone that you want me to speak to? Is there anyone, God, that that you're wanting to move upon? God, is there anything you're wanting to say to me in this moment? God, I open myself up to you. So I just want you, just right where you're at, this might feel really uncomfortable for a Sunday morning. I don't know. I don't think it would be uncomfortable here. Yeah. Yeah, this is, I, I think you guys are maybe, you've, you're used to a little bit of uncomfortable. And so I just want, open your, and I just want you to begin to speak out loud. I want you to use your words. And, and I, I want you just to say, God, would you, would you speak to me? Go on, yeah, keep going. Just keep talking to him. Keep, ta- keep your eyes open. Don't close those eyes. Keep them open. <laughs> I know, we're, we're breaking some tradition right here. We're getting free right here. God, we're just asking for you to speak to us. Keep praying, keep praying. God, raise my faith. Raise my faith this morning to match your movement. How would you feel me this morning? Come on, ask him. What is it that you're asking him for this morning? You just didn't get all prettied up to come here to sit in a, in a chair, sing a few songs. Come on, what are you asking him for? God, I'm in your house. This is, this is, this is your temple. It, it, yes, it's brick and mortar, but God, this is we gathered for you. We're not, we're not here for, for some sermon. We're not here just to sing songs. We're here for you. God, what are you saying? What do you want to speak to me? God, would you highlight places in my life that you want me to give to you that I haven't given to you yet? Come on, keep praying. I'm I'm not hearing you. Keep praying. Keep praying. Come on, just keep talking to him. Talk out loud. It's okay if your neighbor hears. You're not here for your neighbor. You're not here for them. You're here for him. You're, You're here for him. You're here for him. Jesus, we are here for you. We need you to touch us. God, we need you to speak to us. God, we've got some mountains in front of us. There's some places, Jesus, that that we need you to level some mountains. God, we've got some prodigals in our life. God, would you move? Would you move on our sons, on our daughters? God, would you move on our parents? God, would you move on our spouse, Lord? God, Father, would you move on me? God, would you move the mountains and the crevices Father? the places in my heart that have been built, God, as idols of worship to other things. God, make me a lover. Make me a lover of your presence. Come on, keep praying, keep praying. Come on, you're asking him for something. You're asking him for something. You're asking him for something. Come on, God, we need more of you. We need you to fall in this place. God, we've got a city that doesn't know you. God, there's people that we're encountering in Walmart. God, you're speaking to us, but you're not speaking to everyone there. God, would you move on the people in the shops, and the marketplace? God, would you you right now begin to move, God, on those running gas stations? God, in our city, Lord, our our administrations and our school systems, God. God, the governor, Lord, the, the, the mayor, Father, would you begin to move, God, on people of influence in our city? Come on, keep crying out to them. We're wanting to encounter this is the heart of God. The heart of God is for you, but the heart of God is for your city. It's for the families. It's for the mom and dads. God, there's orphans in our city. God, that they've not been claimed. God, there's orphans, Lord, that God, they're they're setting in foster homes, Lord. They need to be adopted. God, would you would you raise up? Godly moms and godly dads that would take them in, Lord, that would love them and that would show them, that would model the scriptures of loving them. Come on, keep praying. Keep those eyes open. Keep praying. Keep praying. God, we're asking, Lord, would you move in powerful ways? We are here for you. We're here for you. And God, is just not about me. It's just not all about me, God. It's about you and it's about your heart. And we want to pray your heart this morning. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, would you move in this place? Jesus, would you move in our families? God, would you would you pour out your spirit here? God, if you're looking for a church, God, we raise our hand. We raise our hand. God, would you move here as you're searching the earth forward and backwards? God, and you're looking for a heart that's fully committed to you. God, would you look at my heart? God, look at my heart. Lord, I give it to you. I give you everything. I give you all my emotions. I give you all my disappointments. God, I give you all the places I failed. God, I give you, Lord, I give you my calling. Lord, God, I give you my job. I give you my sphere of influence. God, the people you've put in my life on purpose. God, that I'm supposed to be sharing that God, God, I give you my fears. Lord, I give them to you. Lord, and I'm asking Jesus, would you fill me with courage? Would you fill me with boldness? God, would you fill me with the truth of your word God would you baptize me afresh this morning God I need more of you I need more of you God so that I can reflect your glory God I want to see your glory come forth Holy Spirit fill us this morning fill us this morning and have your way have your way in Jesus name in Jesus name Mm. thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Mm. thank you God just want you to know that even as I share this morning and the Lord starts pressing you to pray I won't get offended just cry out to him guys we are here for him It's actually what it's all about. It's all about him. And he's wanting to transform you because as you walk in the transformation that comes through an encounter with his spirit, cities get transformed. Nations get transformed. Schools get turned upside down. Families, families get restored. They get restored. Reconciliation happens in marriages. Prodigals come home. Prodigals come home. Those that have felt abandoned get brought into families, and they begin to experience the love and the healing touch of the Father. We gotta posture our heart. We gotta posture our heart. You know, several years ago. I mean, it's been a hot minute. I don't know if y'all say that here in the north, but in the south we say it. A cold minute here, right? And uh, and I I was on a plane to um, to a city in North Africa, and and I was with my mom, and and I'm going to share a little bit of my story. But uh, my mom and I's relationship had really just gotten restored, and God had done this deep healing work in her. And so I was like, Mom, I want to take you Bible smuggling. Like, I just think, <laughs> like, like, you're, like, like, I'm just so excited about what God has done with our relationship. Would you go Bible smuggling with me? And she was like, I'm in, you know, and she's like this short little thing. And, uh, and so we packed our bags full of Bibles, and uh, we went into North Africa. And we're just, I mean, we're leaving Bibles all over the place. And there's actually a really big mosque that, um, that they allowed non-Muslims to go into. And we left like stuff all over that mosque. I mean, it was just like, I was so scared. And, uh, but it was, it was awesome, you know, because I'm just thinking like, somebody's like bowing down to Allah, you know? And then they, all of a sudden they see something, they pull it out. And then they see that, that Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He was the son of God and he loved them. And, and, and we're just praying for dreams and visions and, and just asking God to encounter people in supernatural ways that, that when the literature got close to them, that there would just be this collision of the divine. And so on this flight, I, I don't know why stuff like this happens to me, but just um, crazy stuff happens on airplanes for me. And... So we we get on, and uh, my mom, it's like three, um, three or four seats, and my mom and I kind of like, we didn't sit right next to each other. We kind of, you know, we had a seat in between us. And we kind of, you know, we're on the flight, and all of a sudden, like, we're getting ready to like, I thought like they were closing the door, and we're getting ready to go. And all of a sudden, these officers stepped on, and the, they made an announcement. They said that there was a... A, uh, a prisoner that was going to be boarding the flight, and, uh, and they said a very dangerous prisoner, which, right, that makes you feel really good, and that they're going to be boarding the flight, but that no one had to be alarmed because the officers were going to be with this dangerous prisoner, and I'm like, I mean, did you really have to, like, preface all of that? I mean, you could have just, like, right, but no, so, and whatever, so, so I'm like, okay, and and all of a sudden, this woman came on, and she was chained, like, with her, her hands and her feet, and she was walking like this down the aisle, and, um, right, and we have that empty seat, and, and all of a sudden, she stops, and she looks at my mom and I, and, and she's like, that's my seat, and, uh, and, and she kind of gets in there, and she sits down, and then the officers go to the back of the plane. <laughs> So you would have thought, right, you would have thought that if they were protecting us, they wouldn't be at the back of the plane. But no, no, no. I mean, they could have moved us to the back of the plane and sat on each side of her. No, but so now we're the protective people there, I guess. And and so, I, you know, and right, when you're a Christian and you're a missionary, um, actually, you don't even have to be a missionary. You just have to be a Christian, right? And and something like that happens, you know something's up, right? And, and I was just like, I really wanted to take a nap. And I mean, great, right, because we're all in the flesh, you know, and it's anyways, and so we're sitting there and, and I actually just kind of didn't say anything at first and I kind of was closing my eyes and all of a sudden she like elbows me and, and of course she speaks English. And, of course, everybody else on the plane speaks Arabic, but she speaks English. And, uh, and she says, uh, where are you going? And, uh, and I said, and so I told her, I said, well, where are you going? <laughs> I think I know. You know, but what's really awesome is that my mom had been to prison. And so, and we were both jail chaplains. And so we were jail chaplains for seven years, and uh, after my mom had really gotten born again and really healed and delivered, you know, we tag team in prisons and in jails, and I would share the gospel. And so I'm like, of all the places for a prisoner to come, right, like sits in between us and... uh and so I just, I just start talking with this lady, and, uh, man, the whole flight, um, my mom and I were kind of tag teaming her, and, you know, she just began weeping, and, and the Lord just began to move over her, and she was a Muslim, and, uh, and she had done some really bad things, and, and the Lord touched her on that flight, and she gave her life to Jesus. It was powerful. Um, But this morning, as I was praying about um, what God wanted to do here, the Lord just reminded me of this story and what happened there. And and I really felt set up. When I was on that plane and she came down and she sat right by us, I felt a set up from God. And I want to tell you something this morning. God has set you up. He has set you up. You see, because Proverbs 16, 9 says that a man makes his plans, but the Lord orders his steps. You and I had plans this morning, and maybe your plans were like, I'm going to go to church, and then after church, you know, I'm going to go eat, and then after I eat, I'm going to take a nap, or I'm going to go do this, or I'm going to go drink milk, because that's what you guys do. And, (laughs) right? I mean, I'm lactose intolerant, and so I... Like, y'all are about to kick me out of the north, right? And so, um, whatever it is your plans were, what I want you to know is that um, it's wonderful that you've made plans. But the Lord's directing your steps. And this morning, uh, my, my heart's desire is that your eyes would be opened, your eyes would be open that as he's directing your steps, that, that every place you're to encounter him, that you won't miss it. And that every person that you are to encounter with him, you won't miss it. You see, it was just as important that God ordered this lady's steps on that plane as it was that I was aware, my mom was aware that God was ordering our steps to be available to what he would wanna do. And so the ordering of the steps is not just for you to get to where you're going, but it's for you to walk in the availability that God is calling you to walk in. You know, when I was, I, I grew up in, um, well, I was born in Kentucky and I was raised in Southern Indiana. And you know, this accent is, uh, I actually say that it's a hick anointing. Um, Audriana travels with me. Um, she's on staff at All Star and uh, she's Mexican and American, so her parents are missionaries in Mexico. She grew up there. I actually met her at a prison. Um, she wasn't in it. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to let that, I'm, just, I'm not even going to finish that story. And uh, you'll have to ask her about it. Um, but she she translates for me in Spanish. She's fluent in Spanish, and so I my prayer, and you can pray this with me today, is that God would anoint her with a Spanish hick anointing because, <laughs> like, she doesn't have the accent when she does the Spanish, and I really feel like that there's that this is it's going to be unleashed on you this morning. Yeah, I I, I really feel this strongly, so. But so I was raised Southern Indiana, and I came from a really broken home, um, like a lot of us. You know, my, my, my parents, um, my mom had grown up in a lot of domestic violence. She never knew her father. Um, he was killed shortly after she was born, and her mother was an alcoholic. Uh, my mom was abused sexually, and just, I mean, just this, this long line of trauma. And if anyone is, is familiar, there's a, there's a test that when you get involved, like with social work and things like that, it's called an ACE score. And um, it's adverse child effects. And uh, my mom and I actually get really high scores, and, um, which is not a good thing. But, but it is a test I do well on. And so I got to brag on that just a little bit. But... Uh, growing up, you know, my mom, you know, people that have experienced trauma and people that have not been healed and people that have not been delivered, they carry that into wherever they go. And so when you have children, if you have not fought for your healing, then then what you have walked in in bondage, then you're going to pass on to your children, and 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 you as a parent that you have not fought to be whole and to be healed, then what's gonna happen is you're gonna open doors because of agreements you have made with darkness and those agreements that you have made And and even though inside yourself you're thinking, you know, I'm going to do everything I can that this doesn't happen to my children, what happens is the the enemy has duped you into believing that you can stuff everything down and that you, you you can exist and you can function and you can stop what happened to you with your children. But the truth is you have opened a wide access portal to the enemy to the generation coming after you. And my mom, she wasn't a believer. I mean, she'd been in church, but, but, you know, she really, she didn't have an encounter with Jesus, but she'd been given a lot of religion, and unfortunately, you just can't overcome with religion. And so she gets married, and, um, you know, she marries my dad, and I have two older brothers, and my father adopted them, and, and my father was very abusive. Um, you know, we, we just, I mean, I just, I thought that was normal. You know, I I just you know I if I went to my friend's house and their father was loving, I thought this is this is like not real. Like I thought there was something something was up. Like he was only being nice because later on he was gonna like do something, bust out you know a window or knock through a wall or you know um, we would be driving and my father would would jump on the car and bust in the windshield. You know there was just just lots of violence. And, and on top of the violence, there was, there was sexual abuse. And, and so growing up, just, there was just so much. And my mom, you know, if you had asked her, she was doing everything she knew to protect me. My mom wasn't a bad mom. She was the best mom that she could be that she knew how to be. And and so just it, it just this cycle continues and we see this in our culture all the time and and so just growing up it went from my dad and my parents got divorced when i was young and 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 i had been to church uh, for just a little stint because we moved a lot. I don't know how many schools I went to, and um, but we were in this one service, and I was about seven years old, and I vividly remember it because I, we had like pews and stuff, you know, and, and I was laying on the floor, and I began to hear the pastor at the front begin talking about that, that God loved us, and that he was a father to the fatherless, and, in that, that, that he had sent his son Jesus. And I actually went forward to receive Jesus because I wanted to get to know God because he was supposed to be a good father. And, and I, I just thought if I can know God, then, then like this void and this pain and this hurt that somehow, I mean, even at the age of seven, I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't know what normal was. And so, you know, I just kind of growing up in this, my mom met my stepdad and, you know, after my parents got divorced, we were like, yay, finally we get away from my dad. And within a year of marriage to my stepfather, he was uh, 10 times worse than my father. And, uh, you know, he would, he would get on raging drunks and he sought off a shotgun one night and chased us around our home telling us he was going to kill us. Of course, the police were called, like they were always called and, uh, they came, and at that time, you know, it's kind of a little different than it is now, uh, but, but they basically would make the mother and the kids leave, and the, and the man would stay there. And, uh, you know, they never did anything, and they would just say, you need to go. And so, you know, we slept in our, the car that night, and the next morning I had to go to school. And I remember going into school, and, uh, I mean, this was just normal, like this wasn't like abnormal for me. This was like, this is just what happens. And I actually really just thought this is what happened in everybody's home. I didn't know that, that this was different or, right, not normal. And so I got called to the principal's office and I knew I hadn't done anything wrong because I was, I was really shy and I didn't talk to a lot of people. I was very backwards, and, but I knew that I, I'd do everything that they asked me to do and I got called, and there was a social worker there, and she was like, you just, you can't go home tonight. Uh, You're going to go stay with these people, and we, and me and one of my brothers was put into foster care, and so we were in that for, for a short season. My mom worked really hard to get us back, and uh, she got us back, and and we thought, man, now it's going to be better, and And then she went back to my stepdad because my mom was just in this cycle of abuse and she didn't know how to get out of it. And she didn't have resources. She didn't have help. There wasn't anybody stepping in saying, hey, we're going to let you come live with us and we're going to help protect you and your children. You know, like, like, there There wasn't any of that, our family you know kind of pushed us away. It was partly her fault. well, you know, if you were better, then this wouldn't be happening to you, and he wouldn't hit you and he wouldn't yell at you and you know because you know this isn't your first marriage, you should have got it right the first time, and all these lies are being spoken to her and over us and and so I just grew up with just very distorted views of what was healthy in family and what was healthy in life and then I had a friend um, when I was about fifteen that I was going to school with. And she was like, hey, um, Peggy, would you want to come to church with me sometime? So my mom's the church secretary and you know we can come pick you up and we would love for you to go to church with us. And so I was like, okay. I mean, it was a, I mean, I could get out of my house. I mean, that was like a huge win. And so I remember I started going to church with her and it was just this potent town Baptist church, this little bitty thing. I mean, there was about 15 members in this church and that was like high attendance Sunday. Um, you know, there's no stoplight in the city. Um, do y'all have a stoplight here? I think you've, you've got a stoplight. You've got a Walmart, right? Come on. And uh, we didn't have a Walmart. We didn't, we had like one of those, whatever. Anyways, and so I go to church with her, and then I start hearing about that there is this, this YC conference, this youth conference happening in Indianapolis. I mean, Indianapolis is like big city. And, and they wanted our youth group, which was me and this other girl, to like, for real, that we were going to go and we were going to connect with this other youth group and we were going to go to this conference. But our youth group needed a sponsor. And so my mom said, I'll do it. Um, and so, you know, again, she did the best she knew how. and But she, she really wasn't born again. And so, we, we load up the church van, and we are with these, uh, this other group, and, and we go to this conference, and, and this morning, I want to talk to you just about markers in your life, because there are, there are moments that God sets you up for, like that woman on the plane that was a marker in her life, and that marker in her life changed the trajectory of her future, and when I was 15 years old, God was was directing my steps even though I had this crazy childhood. I had all this trauma and you know, I didn't understand and didn't probably didn't even have I know I didn't have the, you know the right view of who God was because of all of these authorities in my life that had stolen innocence and that had violated authority and and so my view of God, you know, it was the only place I felt peace was when I talked with him. And so we go to this conference, and, and, and I just remember like there was 3,000 students there. Like, I didn't even know 3,000 like young people loved Jesus. Like, I was shocked. Like, I, I'd never been in a place like this before. And, and there was this man that got up on stage, and he was the conference speaker. And, and as he got up there, he had these buckets on the stage, and in them, they were full of dirt. And I'm like, what is this dude doing? you know, and and he just starts talking and he goes to John chapter nine and he just starts preaching about Jesus healing the man that had been born blind and and he put his hand into those buckets and he pulled up the dirt and he began to spit in it just like Jesus did. And I mean, he's, I mean, it's pretty like loogies coming out, right? And he's just spitting and, and he's like putting it together. I mean, his hands are muddy. He's making a mud ball. And as he's doing this, he's preaching and, he, and he's sharing and he's talking to my generation generation. And, he's, and then he opens up his hands and he says, God is calling your generation to get their hands dirty for the glory of God. And he began to call forth an invitation for young people to respond so that those that are blind can see again. He said he wants your life and he's using you And I remember I was like in the back, right, because I was Baptist and they always sit in the back and they have assigned seats. And and so I'm like, I'm gripping the pew. I don't even, it might have been chairs. I don't know. I was gripping it. And I knew that God was saying, go. Like I felt it. It was like Like I'd never felt anything like that. And and, and I just knew he was saying, Peggy, go, go. I'm calling you. Get your hands dirty. I want to use you. And as I was feeling that and I was gripping this, I was so afraid because at the same time that as clearly as I could hear the voice of God saying go, I heard every lie from the pit of hell telling me why I was not qualified to go. Don't you know who you are? Don't you know where you come from? Don't you know your last name? Girl, you don't even know the Bible. How can God use you for other people? You can't help people see that are blind. You don't even know enough of the word of God. I mean, God can't use people like you. You've been in foster care. You've been rejected. There's no way God can use you. You're not enough. Those lies... They were more powerful than the truth. And I stood there and I, I held on and I, I just, it was like I didn't know what to do. I was paralyzed. Have any of y'all ever felt paralyzed? You hear the voice of God, you know he's saying, but yet yet that disqualification, it hits you. And that bullet to the chest, and you just, you, you, he can use all of them. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of students were going forward, and I couldn't move. Well, the music died down, and everything kind of shuts down, and it's time to go. And we're walking out of that building, and and there's kind of this foyer area, and just like, you know, we got a little booth out there with some stuff about our ministry, and this guy that had been on stage, um, he was out there with... With a booth with information about the ministry. And as we're walking past it, my mom looks at me and she says, Peggy, you're supposed to talk to that guy. And I was like, I he's just in front of 3,000 people. Mom, there ain't no way I'm talking to him. Like, he's up here. I'm like, right? Because that's our perception. And, and I was like, no, 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 there's no way. And, and she said, well, let's just, let's just walk past the booth. It's okay. And as we walk past it, my mom, shoves me into this guy. (laughs) She doesn't even know Jesus. And like, right, God holds the heart of the king. He can turn it like a river, whichever direction he would choose. And man, the Holy Spirit overcome my mother and she pushed me into this guy and I like fall into him and like he catches me and he slaps a brochure in my hand and he says, listen, God is calling you to Eastern Europe this summer and I want you to go with me And, and God's calling you to, to open blind eyes. And listen, I don't say a word. Like I'm shy backwards. You know, I barely talk. And I like code the brochure and I'm like, and I, I literally didn't say a word. And then, and then I walked away. And we got in that church van and we drove an hour and a half down to Southern Indiana. And I read every page of that brochure. And, and again, the Holy Spirit that had spoken to me in that auditorium where I was gripping the seat, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I'm calling you you've got to go, you've got to go, and I'm like, I don't even know how this is possible, and and I mustered up all the boldness that I had, and Sunday morning, I went to my pastor, and I said, pastor, I said, and I showed him the brochure, I said, I think God might be calling me to this, and he says, that's wonderful, he says, I want you to speak in front of the whole church this morning, (laughs) What if all 15 are here? Like, I mean, I'm like, I'm so scared. And so he calls me up and like, he's got the brochure. And, and, and I, I mean, I've never spoken in front of anybody. I mean, I'm shy. I'm shy. I barely have friends. I have one, right. That I talk to. And so like, I get up there and, and I'm a girl, right. So what do girls do when they don't know what else to do? I'm just up there crying. And I'm just like, God, just got to go to this place. I think they felt sorry for me. I don't know. But, but this church, they bought me my first passport. Within two and a half weeks, this, this little bitty group had raised over $3,000, and they bought me an airline ticket to Eastern Europe for me to join this team and to go on my first international missions. Now, listen, you need to know something. I thought international missions was, was going from Indiana to Kentucky, just crossing the Ohio River that was international, right? Like going halfway across the world, like that wasn't even like on my radar. You know, I had barely been, I mean, I'd been to Kentucky cause I was born there, you know, but, but I in I'm in a small town, a small church and no one's ever discipled me. No one's taught me how to share the gospel. Like no one has like, I mean, I, at that time I probably really didn't even have a quiet time. Like, I didn't even know what that was to get up every morning and and spend time in God's word. I didn't have a prayer life. You know, I I mean, this is like, I was actually launched to the mission field without like, really, I mean, all I had was I was born again. I mean, that is the only thing I had in common with the people in the Bible. (laughs) And as I went, this group began to disciple me. And I learned, I began to, um, to learn the scriptures, and we would have to memorize scripture, And but I went believing that God couldn't use me. You know how crazy that is? I see it all the time with young people, that God will launch them into missions. He'll launch them into the harvest, and I see this with adults too. God will begin to position them in places of influence, but their belief system is that even though they're they know they're supposed to be usable by God, they actually, their operating truth is, God can't use me. And that was me. So now I'm like in a foreign country, (laughs) right? And people have raised up all this money and I still believe God can't use me. And so for the first two weeks, we're learning the word, we're getting in small group, we're being discipled, and and everything that they did in this ministry was not only to give you knowledge, but to give you skills. And so we had this drama that we did on the streets, and I was not good at drama. And so I was like, my whole part was like a mask of a ship. Like I just stood like this. I was a mime, and because I didn't hardly talk, you know, and I mean, I'm still really shy and backwards. I don't even know how I ended up on this trip. There was full of all these young people that had parents that loved Jesus, that they'd been raised in the church and they had this heritage behind them. And like, I, I was the anomaly on that team. I come from a broken home. And by the time I would get home from that trip, our house would have been auctioned off and we were homeless. Like we lost everything while I was on the mission field, at the age of 15. But on that trip, God marked my life. I gotta, so I got to tell you what happened. So so two weeks in, like, like I'm memorizing like, scripture, and, and I'm getting the word of God in me, and it, that's all I know is what I've memorized on this trip. And two weeks in, they're like, okay, Peggy, you're up. You're now a ministry team leader. And I'm like, I don't know about that. And uh, I was like, I'm a mime, and so we're not actually supposed to talk. And uh, they says, No, 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 no. Listen, this is a part of this is this is a part of being a disciple, and this is a part of how God wants to use you. And He's put His Holy Spirit inside of you, and He wants to use you. We've trained you in how to share the gospel. Like you, you've done all the stuff, and you've seen it all done. Well, you're up. So I'm like, Okay. So we do the drama, and and I've got two people with me, like. You know, I've got my distractor person to take care of, like, for whatever dogs and children that, that come at you when you're trying to share the gospel. And then I've got my prayer person, and, and their job is just to pray with their eyes open um, the whole time. And, and so we get done, and, and they took us to the red light district of Budapest. And so I don't know if you know what a red light district is, but uh, we were in a prostitute park. And I'd never been to a place like this before, but this is like inner city. And, and there's like drug deals happening, prostitution happening, human trafficking happening all around us. And, and I'm going out and I'm like looking around and then I see these two women. And they looked kind of safe, and we were supposed to do like male to male ministry, female to female ministry. And so I go up to these two women, and I'm just like, um, um, I have this card, and on this card, it's in Hungarian and English. And I start reading the Hungarian. You uh, put Kivano, Peggy? That's all I know. I know it sounds good, but that's all I know. And um, and so I'm reading that, and then I get to you know, um, I just start reading it in Hungarian. I'm butchering it like it's really bad, and and all of a sudden, uh, our translator, Louisa, she saw, and I knew she saw me struggling. And we had kind of gotten to be friends on the trip. And so she came over to me and she said, Peggy, let me help you. Now, mind you, this is the first time I've ever shared the gospel. And, uh, and I said, okay. And so I just started like, yeah, repeating what I'd been taught, you know, in that two weeks. And so I just said, I just want you to know that, that God loves you so much and that he's got a plan for your life. And, and, uh, and he loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to come and die for you, you know, because our sin separates us from God. And, and the more that I would talk, you know, because I grew up in domestic violence, I could read body language. And so, like, I watched their eyes. And, and you know how people's eyes get angry, And so I was watching their eyes, and it's just like they were fuming. The more that I talked, the angrier their eyes were getting. And I started really getting nervous on the inside, and and, and finally I just stopped talking. Like I didn't even finish my sentence. I just stopped talking. And, man, they let loose in me. I mean, they just started going off in Hungarian, and Luisa's trying to translate it back to me. And they said, do you think we like being prostitutes? I said, I don't know. I've I've never met a prostitute before, but I would say no. No. We want to tell you something. We've cried out to your God. You say your God loves us so much. Well, we've cried out to him. We don't want to sell our bodies, but it's the only way that we can feed our children. So we walk these streets so that we can feed our children. And your God, who we cried out to, he's never helped us once. And and as, as they're talking, something shifted in me. And all of a sudden, I began to feel like this this river about to explode out. I'd never experienced the Holy Spirit like this in my life. And all this this confidence overwhelmed me. And I looked at these women, and all the Scripture I'd memorized just started coming out of me. I mean, it was like a rifle gun of Scripture, like all five of them. And... (laughs) I said, the Bible says that if God will provide for the birds of the air, how much more will he provide for his children? You say that you've cried out to God, but the Bible says you don't have access to God because in John 14, six, I just memorized it. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life and no man or woman can come into God except through him. You've cried out to God and I wanna tell you something. God has heard your prayer and he brought me all the way from the United States to this place and this park right here in Budapest, Hungary so that you could meet him, so that you could know his son, Jesus Christ. And today, if you'll give your life to Jesus Christ, he's going to meet you, and he's going to deliver you of prostitution. And these women just bust, and they just begin weeping, and they're like, we want it. And so, like, like, we're praying, and they get born again in the park, and I'm just like, what just happened? Like like I had never experienced anything like this before. And and so so then I'm just like, okay. And so there's a couple more weeks that we had on the mission field. And and so every day I'm just like, I'm 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 like getting more and more boldness after this experience and and I remember we were t- toward the end of our trip that that we went back to this prostitute park because it was just an ever-changing crowd there. And as we went back there, we set up and did our drama. And this time I was like a prayer or distractor person. So I'm just standing there. And as I'm standing there, as someone's sharing the gospel, somebody grabs me from behind. And they just, they turn me around. And in Europe, they like to kiss a lot. And so these, these women just started kissing me like, like all over the face. And, and they're like crying and kissing me and, and, you don't want to actually be kissed in a prostitute park, and so I'm trying to figure out what the heck is happening, you know, because it's like, this is like the safe zone, and they have just violated it, and and so they're kissing me, and then I, I, I turn, and I see Louisa, and she's running toward me. She's just tears coming down her face, and she says, Peggy, Peggy, these are the women, and I'm like, Louisa, what women, because I couldn't even see them, because they kept kissing me, and and she says, don't you remember last time we were here, the women that we prayed with, and, and I finally kind of pushed them back a little bit, and I was like, Louisa, they look different. And uh, she says, "She says you have to hear what happened. They just spoke to me, they didn't know that you would be here, and they were walking past, and they heard the music from the drama, and so they started coming this way, and, and, and they, they didn't think they would ever see you again. Peggy, you have to hear what they have to say. And then these women just went crazy in Hungarian, and Louisa's trying to keep up with them, and they said that we were walking by, we heard the music, and we wanted to come, and we wanted to tell you what happened. The, the day that you prayed for us, that night we went home, and we knelt beside our bed, but this time we didn't pray to God. No, no, no. We prayed in the name of Jesus, because we belong to Jesus now, and we prayed out, and we cried out in his name, and before we even got up, the phone rang, and we were given a job, and we were able to walk out of prostitution, Right? I was so blown away. But I wanna tell you something shifted in me in that moment. At the age of 15, it was like for the first time, it's like I saw it clearly, God could use me. It didn't matter that I'd been abused. It didn't matter that I'd been in foster care. It didn't matter that I came from a broken home. It didn't, all these things, like those things didn't disqualify me. But he could use me. And then this thought overcame me. Dear Jesus, if he can use me, he can use anybody. Because I hadn't met anybody with all the trash of my life. And it was like my whole life changed. My whole life shifted. I got marked by God. When you get marked by God, you cannot go on the way you used to be. So from that trip, I went home, and, and, uh, and so I got, this time I had a little more confidence from those 15 people. And like about all 15 showed up, and I shared with them what God did, and I shared this story of the two prostitutes coming to Jesus. And man, before I knew it, like the Methodist Church was calling me, and then the Assembly of God Church was calling me, and then, I mean, like different Bible studies were calling me, so I was, I was showing up at these places, and I was telling the story, and then somebody finally asked me, they're like, hey, do you have any other stories? And I was like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is all I've got. And But that began a journey of the next 10 years of me working with this organization, so about 4 years ago the founder of the organization that God launched me in you see that was back when I was 15 that was the first year of All-Star Missions that was the very, that and that's the organization that 4 years ago I became the president of you know God loves to bring things full circle He loves to bring things full circle. I imagine the founder had no idea that when he took his first group of young people overseas that God was raising up the next president. Sometimes we don't foresee what God is doing, but God is a God of process. He's a a God that he takes his time. He, he's not worried about your destination. Some of us in this room, we are really hung up on destination. It's all about where we're supposed to get. We're just trying to get there. But I want you to know God doesn't think God's already been there. He's, he's I mean, because he's the alpha and the omega. Like, I want you to see God, you know, it's, it's like a big circle. Like, he's completed everything you've ever started and everything you ever quit. He's the Alpha and the Omega, and we live on this little island called time, and we're just a drop in eternity. We're just a drop in eternity. Your life is just, if I just had just this little bitty, you know, dropper, like what you, you know, it it would just a little bitty drop, and that, that would be your life. James says it's a breath, and then it's over. So everything you're hung up on, God isn't hung up on it because he's already been to where you're going. But in that drop, in your timeline, the beautiful thing about God is that, right, he stops. And he takes that little splash and he stretches it out. And then he begins to mark. And he begins to move and he begins to complete and he begins to heal. And in this little drop, you know, we live in this world that's broken and all that brokenness is designed to destroy the plans of God over your life. You know, God starts when we're young to destroy what the Lord has planned for when we're older. And we all have this broken story. Listen, my kids have been raised in church and yet they have broken stories. Because, because there's, there's, there's spaces in us that are designed by God that will drive us to a place where we need him. The greatest gift that God can give us in this room is that we would cry out in need for him in every place of our life. And God wants to leverage your brokenness. You cannot reach a broken world without recognizing your own brokenness. Listen, this world is not looking for perfect Christians. This world is not looking for people that actually have it all together. This world isn't looking for people that come in and say that they know all the answers. No, this broken world is looking for people that will come and will sit with them in their brokenness. And not say, oh, I've been there. Oh, no, no, no. That will sit with them in their brokenness and say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you've had to suffer like this. I'm so sorry that you have faced this. I want you to know that God never did this to you. He's not angry with you. He's not against you. Listen, he loves you so much. And I know that you feel really broken and you feel like your whole world's falling apart, but I want you to know that, that he's sitting with you too. And, and, and if you would just allow him to touch that place, what is so broken here, he'll heal. And he'll use it. And it will actually become your platform for his glory. I was in Mexico a few years ago, and I went into this little Mexican shop, and I remember walking in, and, and there were these crosses that were similar to this, and there were just a few of them, and and I, I looked at it, and, and when I saw it, what do you guys see? Yeah, do you see yourself, though? Yeah, kind of. Like my mascara okay? <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, I, I, I looked at it and, and it, it was a mirror, it was a broken mirror. And as I, I looked at it, I just thought, man, that's like, that's different. That was my first thought, that's really different. But I just saw myself in like distorted and all these broken pieces. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And he says, Peggy, he says, I want you to look into that cross. Because all of your brokenness comes together at the cross. All your broken pieces, this is where they come together. And you notice it's not completely whole. You notice that there's still distortion. You see, because our wholeness isn't because our lives look perfect. The wholeness is because what he did on this cross is it covered us in the blood of Jesus. So that in the broken places of our life, that we can walk in healing in the distortion of a broken world. And I began to realize that the message. That God is asking the church to begin to walk in and to begin to share is not a new message, but it's the same message that Jesus proclaimed as He broke bread and He said, My body is gonna be broken so that you can be whole. You see, so many of us, it's our brokenness that disqualifies us. That is our operational truth. But, friends, it is not the truth. Your brokenness is what actually qualifies you. It's what qualifies you. And so I have a few challenges. There's four things that I want to challenge you with this morning. Number one, is that if, if you are going to allow God to rewrite your story, if you're going to allow him to leverage your brokenness, if you are, are opening yourself up to a posture to say, God, I want to be used by you, even in my mess, even in my brokenness, even in the places where I have failed, even in the places, God, that you are still lifting shame off my life. What, what is it that, that you have to set your heart to do? Like when God marks you, you have responsibility. At the age of 15, when I got marked by God, I had a choice to come home and to keep my mouth closed or to take that marking and put it on display. And every person in this room has a choice. And you can choose to participate in the story that God is writing or you can choose to grip that pen of your life and to continue to buck the system of God and the authority of God and the goodness of God and to write your own script. You have that choice. But This is what the Lord began to show me. Peggy, if you wanna be used by me, number one, you have to refuse to be a slave. You have to refuse to be a slave. You have to lay down the fears that have held you hostage. You have to lay down the shame that the enemy has leveraged over you. Peggy, you have to refuse to be a slave. Friends, you need to know something. There are places that the enemy, see, God has delivered you. If you, haven't, if you have had an encounter with Jesus and you've gotten born again, you are delivered. Like, like your position in the Father is you are free. Your authority in the Father, right, is that all power of heaven and earth resides within you because Jesus Christ resides within you. Right so so you've got position and you've got authority and you've got inheritance you've been claimed you've been adopted you belong to Jesus like your last name has been changed And so all of this is 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 who you are when you give your life to Jesus The problem is is that you can be positionally free and live in slavery right? Didn't we see it with the children of Israel that they came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and they got stuck in 40 years of wilderness? Why? Because even though they got delivered from Egypt, Egypt was still in them. And for some of you, Egypt is still alive and well inside of you. You've been delivered to pursue the promise, to walk in the promised land, but your your Egypt still owns you. So you have to refuse to be a slave. Well, what does that look like? What does it mean to to not live in slavery? It means that fear can no longer define your future. It means that you don't live for the approval of man anymore. Like you have to let it go. You have to let it go. You, You have to decide and you have to set your heart in this position with God that says, I will no longer be dictated by Egypt what you have freed me from. You have moved me out of Egypt. But I want to share a little secret with you. You know, the Israelites were stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. and, And this is something the Lord showed me a few years ago, is that in the wilderness... They were in disobedience to the Lord. They'd been delivered. They'd been set free. They'd seen the miracles of God. I mean, God had like, I mean, he parted a Red Sea. Like, I mean, plagues that went over Egypt. I mean, talk about him like on full display, just showing up and being the supernatural God that he is. He was like all out saying, hey guys, I'm for you. And then he delivered them and he defeated their enemy and they get in the wilderness and they're supposed to go and pursue the promise. They're supposed to possess the land and they get stuck in this place and God begins providing manna for them. The provision of God was over them and then it was a fire by night and a cloud by day. His presence was with them, right? But listen, his presence was there and his provision was there, but they were actually walking in disobedience. Now listen, this is very scary, because some of you in your Christian life, you can come into church and you're having encounters with the presence of God. You have seen provision in your life. Like you're, you're, like the, the, the things are being met that need to be met, but you have never taken possession of the promise. And you are actually living as disobedient Christians. You have not possessed the land. You have not faced the giants, but you have settled down in a place That's comfortable. And you probably complain a lot because they did. Because it was never enough. You know why it was never enough? Because they were never meant to be having manna come from heaven. They were meant to be possessing nations and having the fruit of those nations. You see, they they didn't have the power of God. They had the provision and they had the presence, but they did not have the power. And you have to ask yourself as a Christian, this is how you'll know am I really walking in obedience or am I one of those wilderness Christians that I do all the right stuff but I don't actually have power to possess power to overcome. And listen, if you don't then then I just I I I want you to pay attention to this because you're a slave Egypt still owns you, even though you've been delivered. Bible says that the secrets of the Lord is with those that fear him. You know, I had a friend tell me that uh, she sent me a message on Facebook and she had a dream about me. And it was really interesting because it was a lady that I, you know, we had prayed with. Um, for probably about 30 days preparing for a conference, and she'd been a part of that prayer time, but I really didn't have much of a relationship with her. And she sends me this message, and she says, Peggy, she says, I, I felt like the Lord prompted me I'm supposed to send this to you. And she says, in the dream, she says that I was in this dark room, and there were like banquet tables everywhere, and you opened the door, and and the, the glory of God was around you. And she says, and, and, and I noticed like, like it was him, that was on you. And you, you walked over to where I was standing and, and the spotlight came to the table that I was sitting at. She says, and there were like hundreds, hundreds of people that were in the room and, and you were handed a mic and you began to say, and this is what you begin to say in the dream, is what you see in the darkness is what matters most. And that's what I was saying in this dream. And so I just started asking the Lord, God, what does that mean? What you see in the darkness is what matters most. And the Holy Spirit just began to to just breathe on that and began to speak to me. And he says, Peggy, he said, it's not when you're on the mountains. It's not when you feel like like you're like right at my right hand and what you see about me. But Peggy, it's when you're in the valley of the shadow of, of death. Peggy, when you're walking in those places that it feels like all hell's coming against you. Listen, what you see in those moments, that's what's gonna matter most in your relationship with me. You see, some of you all look at, at dark places of your life. You look at those resisting moments. You look at those places where all hell's coming against you and you just want out of it. But listen, that's where God is shaping your character. That is where God is defining your future. That is where you're gonna deposit of the spirit that when you get to a place where there's less resistance, you will be able to call forth to those that are in their valley of the shadow moment, and you'll be able to reach your hand and say, come with me to the other side. And God is wanting to highlight places in your life where it's been hard and it's been difficult and it's been broken and there's been grief and there's been betrayal and there's been resistance and where that and that place, you need to ask the Lord, God, what are you saying to me? In this moment, what is your word? You see, because what happens is we get fixated on the giants and we get trapped in a wilderness. And I believe the word this morning, right? It's those those bullets that hit you, disappointment. It just didn't work out the way you thought that it was gonna work out. You had an expectation and you feel like God has disappointed you. You would never say that out loud in church, but right, you think it, you feel it. And there might even be a part of you that's angry with God. Listen, I want you to know something. His shoulders are broad enough to handle your anger. He he, he doesn't need you to pat him on the back and, and tell him how wonderful he is. He doesn't need that. What he needs from you is your heart. As authentic and raw and hurting and broken and struggling, when he sees that, that's where you unleash the wonder of God. He can handle your disappointment. He can handle your blaming. He doesn't get upset with you if you yell at him. He he doesn't yell back at you. You see, because he sees deeper than the behavior and he's looking at the core of your heart and he knows what got you there. And he's, he's opening his arms and loving you. And listen, he wants to love you out of slavery. He wants to love you out of slavery. He doesn't have a whip trying to beat you down to try to get you to just behave. God doesn't care about your behavior. The world does. God's after your heart. Because when he gets that, there's no issue with behavior. Everything changes. The second thing is that not only do you have to refuse to be a slave, is that you must embrace your identity. You see, the enemy, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but he is, he's after identity theft. We see it with this generation. They don't know if they're male. They don't know if they're female. They don't know if they're an animal. No, I mean, it's absolutely true. And they identify with whatever they have felt loved by. That's what they identify with. And so when you sit with a young girl or a young man and they're homosexual, somewhere they felt love in that place and that space that made them feel like I'm gonna be whatever I need to be so that I can, can have this place in me met. And listen, some of them have real attractions for the same sex. I'm sorry, some people are addicted to things. Listen, we are born in sin. We are born in sin, and that sin distorts everything in our life. And there's a spirit of perversion over our culture, and it's really real to them. But what they need is they need the loving arms of a father to wrap around them and say, listen, I want to touch you in that place. I know this is what you feel, and this is what you think, but let me show you who I made you to be. Let me heal that place in you that you're longing to be met. You see, we, we have to embrace our identity. I remember that uh, when my husband and I got engaged, and actually we, like he had asked me to marry him, but he kind of knew I was a little picky, and so he, um, he didn't get me the ring, and he was like, we're gonna get the ring together. I mean, he was actually pretty smart early on, Um, and so we go to all these jewelry stores, and I mean we didn't have any money, you know. And of course, I had good taste, and it did not work out well. Um, every place that we were going, and so I'm I'm looking at these rings and all, and I'm just, but there wasn't like I'm like a person that like if I want something, like when I see it, I'll know it, but I'm I I can't just I'm just not gonna take that just because. You know, I'm like, that's a waste of money just to take that. And so we're going from store after store after store. Now, my husband's like, I'll just take whatever. You know, we're so opposite. And, and so we finally, he's like, listen, there's a jewelry store in my hometown. Let's go there. And I remember walking in. I mean, it's just a, a little bitty potent thing. And uh, we go in, and, and I just start looking at the rings. And the owner of the store comes in, and, and he says, hey. He said, uh, are you a nunly boy? And, uh, and my, my soon-to-be husband at that time um, looked at him and, and you know, he's, he actually is humble. And, um, and he was like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and he says, man, I just want you to know I love your father. And, uh, and his dad is a, a general surgeon and, and in the community there. And so he's just loved by the community, loves Jesus. I mean, he like, like I married this man that had this family that was like, like, I don't, like, like a really good family. You know, and, and my family, like, wasn't like that. And so I was just like, I just can't believe people say good things about your family all the time. You know, I'm just like, and they were just so nice. And I just thought, like, what's the catch? You know, I, mean, I still had healing I had done, needed done in my life. And so, so we're in this store, and he's just like, I just love uh, your father. I love your uncle. And, and you know what? Because you're a nunly boy, I want to tell you something. You've got instant credit in this place. He says, whatever you want, I'll finance it. And uh, he says, but, but I, I, I trust your family so much. And because you're a Nunley, um, you've got instant credit. And I literally turned to my husband and I said, Joel, if he knew that I was a Bontazar, like he would lock everything up. <laughs> like, no, really, because everyone in my family had been in jail but me. You know, and, and so I was just like, this is crazy, like, and I just, I couldn't imagine having this last name that would get instant credit anywhere, right? Now, just disclosure, there are no perfect families, and there are no perfect names, and um, and his family is wonderful, and they love Jesus, but but they're not perfect, and after 20 years of marriage, you really learn how imperfect your spouse is, and and they learn the same about you. But I share this with you is because, you know, the name that you carry really matters. The identity that you rest in really matters. You know, I had a choice when I was young, and I could choose to be defined by my family name, or I could choose that when I came to know Jesus, and he marked my life, that I could walk in an identity and an authority that came through the name of Christ. But we must embrace our identity. And if you don't know who you are, listen, first of all, if you don't have someone discipling you or mentoring you, can I just, can I just get a hand, like hands in the room? Who doesn't have somebody, I know this is a real call-out moment, but, but who, who doesn't have someone discipling or mentoring you? Just raise your hand. Come on, it's okay, you can raise your hand. Yeah, come on, just like, yeah, it's good. Okay, my challenge to you this morning is you've got to find someone that will disciple and mentor. And if you don't know who that person is, go to your pastors, ask them. Because every person in this room needs to be discipled. Now listen, you know, if you're a a young man and you think this girl's hot, that is not who you disciple. (laughs) Okay, let's just get back. I work with students all the time. Let's just be really clear. Right, let's do, you know, older men need to pour into younger men. Older women need to pour into younger women. And, uh, and you may say, well, I'm an older woman, but I've never been mentored or discipled. Listen, it's, it's not about age. It's about maturity of the faith. And, so, and you can recognize those that are mothers and fathers in the faith because you watch not just the words that they say, but the character that they walk out. How do they act when nobody's really watching them? You know, I mean, maybe run a credit report. <laughs> How are they with their finances and stewarding what God has entrusted to them? I mean, if we want to talk really character, I mean, God gets really down to it. And, and so, so you need to be under someone that, that you're like, Man, I want a credit score like them because they, they steward what God's given to them. You don't have to be rich to have a good credit score. You just have to be faithful with what you've been given, right? you got to be responsible. You got to steward the things that God has given you. And so, you know, you need to find that person that will will pour into you and they will help you. They will call out that God-given identity that's been deposited in you in your relationship with Jesus. So you've got to embrace your identity. And, And as you embrace your identity, you're going to be able to walk out the mission of God and the purpose of God over your life. And here's Here's the third thing. There's one more thing after this, but the third thing is, is you have to live to take worthy risks. You have to live to take worthy risks. We take a lot of risk every day. We take risk with our time all the time. Like, I mean, you risk your time as you spend it on social media all day long or sitting in front of uh, uh, YouTube or Netflix or Hulu or I don't know, all of them, you know, uh, Peacock. You know, whatever it is that you watch and you, like, you're, like you're just, you're, you're risking yourself setting that We take risk with our food. Every time you go through a fast food place, you're taking risk with your with your health, with the food that you're consuming, right? You're like, not a big deal, right? You know, and, and it's just casual, no big deal. We take risk all the time. You know, we took a risk coming here on this airplane ride. You know, Adriana, I mean, and I thought, I didn't know what was going to happen to her. I mean, we're both praying in the Spirit all the way. I'm like, it, like if we're going down, we're going to go down full of the Spirit. Right? I mean, it's just a storm or something, and, and you could just feel everything on the plane. It was like it's flopping in the air. And... You know, but you take risks. We go to theme parks and we take risk with our life on some of these roller coasters, right? Or skydiving or speeding and driving too fast. We take risk all the time. But how many of you are taking worthy risks for the gospel? Your life was created for him, not for you. Stop wasting it on trinkets and things that don't matter. Stop taking risk on things that are stupid. And actually take risk on things that are worthy of risk taking. If you're gonna put it all on the line, put it on the line for Him. If you're gonna take a risk with your reputation, don't let it be because of bad credit. No, if you're gonna take a risk with your reputation, let it be. That you were so bold for the gospel that people rejected you. Let it be that you just loved so hard that people didn't know what to do with that kind of love. Be the first to forgive in the relationship. Be the first to say, I'm sorry. Be the first to look at the person that has hurt you and offended you and to see past what they have done to you and to see that they are operating out of their brokenness. Take a risk with your own vulnerability so that other people can walk in the vulnerability of God. Take worthy risk with your boldness to actually proclaim the gospel you know, I, we, I was sharing this yesterday, and, and I'm almost done. I promise you, and because and, I know you got to eat lunch, and. But as, as I was sharing with this pastor yesterday, I was sharing with him that, you know, we take medical teams into other countries. And when my husband and I first started doing this, that, you know, we, we went into West Africa and the pastor set us down. And he says, you know, sister, I'm so thankful that you're bringing a medical team here. I'm so thankful, you know, that, that you're coming to serve the people. You know, many of them have never seen a doctor in their life. And, and this is wonderful. He says, but I need to ask you, like, like that, that, that you don't just meet physical needs. And I said, Pastor, what, what, are, you, what are you saying? What do you mean? And he says, don't give them a double hell. He said, they already have hell on earth. Don't give them hell on earth and hell in eternity. Don't just extend the hell they already walk in. But I need to make sure you're gonna preach the gospel. Some of us are really nice. We we find somebody that has a need. Oh man, they need groceries. I'm, I'm gonna get them groceries. That's good. You should. Like you just should. You know, or, or somebody's really, you know, down, and, I, man, I'm just going to send them a note of encouragement. You know, and good, you should. You know, or, or you're like, man, God's blessed me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless them financially. Good, you should. But don't let that be where your good works stop. You have actually not fulfilled the Great Commission yet. You see, the Great Commission is, like, you actually have to speak the gospel, it means that you actually have to use words. It's not, I mean, what's the saying? Like, you know, it just—it just, it's better to preach the gospel without words than to use words. I don't know, Gandhi or somebody. I don't know what that statement is. I hate it. And this is why I hate it, because nobody's actually preaching the gospel. And they're like, well, but I, I'm serving them. I'm loving them. I'm, I'm being really kind to them. I'm really, no, you're being safe. Now, if you try to preach the gospel without all that, there's a problem there, too. Because then you're just like, you're just, you can come off as harsh and condemning and unloving and unkind, but, but it, like, that should just be, that just should be the character of who you are as a Christian. You see a need, you meet it. You see somebody hurting, you love on them. Like, this is just natural. This should be the, like a fish swims in water. That's just what Christians do, right? But you have to take worthy risk. And part of worthy risk is that you go into your school, right? I know, like, I'm totally spotlighting you, spotlighting you guys. But you go into your school, and you know you have friends that are struggling with depression and anxiety. Maybe they're struggling with suicide. Maybe they just had a bad breakup, and you look at them and say, hey, I'm a Christian and I've had this encounter with Jesus and, and it really, it really changed me and and it gave me hope that I didn't have. And and would you allow me just to pray for you? And and I and can I share with you that if you'll just call out the name of Jesus, he wants to, he wants to meet your need too, just like he met mine. And you just you just take a worthy risk. And 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 you just you you be that kid. That kid that says, I'm not okay with being on a campus full of people going to hell. You be that kid. Oh, let's just don't don't hit the young people. You be that employee or employer that says, I'm not okay at working at a company where everybody's going to hell. And I know Jesus, I'm not okay with that. Like not on my watch. On my watch, that's not okay. Because if I was placed in that company, if I was placed over that company, if I have been called into that school system, if I've been called into this place of influence, you'll say, well, I'm out because I'm just like, stay at home mom. And all I see is every now and then I see the store and I see my kids. Listen, you better be raising little missionaries, little arrows to be launched to the nations. Can you take your grip off your children, please? Take your grip off your children. They don't belong to you you get them for a season. Now all you parents, you know, helicopter, or I don't know what they're drone parents now, I don't know what they are. Like there's a new definition for them, but like it just gets worse all the time is is that, that we have to just, we have to control everything. And listen, there is no control for you. Like that's a mirage. Like, you don't get to control it. Loosen your grip and release them to the one that has the destiny and the plan that you want them to walk in because it's the best thing for them. Release them and allow him. But, but take your responsibility as a parent, right? And, and close the doors in your home. Close them. Where have you made agreements with the enemy? Where have you given yourself over to things that now has become a portal to your children? Close the doors. Mom, dads, take responsibility for your children. They're going to hell in a handbasket. It's what we say in the South. And it's never been more true than now. So we need mothers and fathers to find their identity in their Savior and to begin to take worthy risk in their parenting and begin to close agreements with the enemy and to not make life all about them, but to, all, it to be all about him and to say, God, these children belong to you. God, how, God, I don't know how to be a parent, but you're a father. Would you teach me how to parent my children? Would you help me how to love them in a way that, God, that they could feel and experience and encounter you? God, would you move supernaturally in my home? God, I, I'm, I'm praying that, that you would just begin right now touching my son or my daughter while they sleep. Give them dreams and visions of you. God, I pray, Lord, would you raise up a young evangelist? Would you raise up a young prophet? Would you raise up a pastor? God, would you raise up a missionary out of the them. God, would you use them to change their school system? God, would you use them to change our culture? God, you're raising them up. How do you want me to speak into them, God? And then you do what I do. Like my husband and I, we go and we anoint our kids' rooms when they're not in there. You know, and we hide scripture, like in places that they would never look. And we're praying and we're believing that God's gonna move supernaturally on our children all the time because it's gonna be their need that's gonna drive them to Jesus. It won't be because I travel and speak and do missions and my husband does missions and, and that, that we do this stuff in ministry. That, that doesn't, that's no guarantee for my children. I gotta be on my face crying out for them and then I gotta check my life. God, if there's any wicked thing in me, if there's any door to darkness, God, close it. Close it because you have set me and my husband over our home to be the watchman on the wall over our children. And God, we want to close any influence of the enemy. And then you just parent your kids. You got to take worthy risks. Worthy risks. Remember working with, uh, we worked in Egypt for a long time and and I remember there was this, uh, this brother, his name was Bassam, and uh, he, he really felt called of the Lord to go into Sudan and to preach the gospel to the, to the Nuba people. And, and I remember when I got word that, that Bassam had gone missing, and for about two weeks, uh, nobody could find him. And he had been taken hostage, and he was tortured, and uh, and he came back just very broken by what was done by Islamic extremists there. And I remember the next time we got to see Basim, you know, we sat in this coffee shop with him, and 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 we were just saying, we were just saying, Basim, we've been praying for you, and and uh, you know, it, it, you know, just talk to us, like, how are you doing? What's going on? And and uh, and I remember the words he said. He he looked at us, and he said. This is what you need to know is that sometimes risk doesn't matter. You just have to follow the call. He said, sometimes, he says, says, the Lord said, go to Sudan. And even though everything that happened to me, it, it doesn't matter that the risk was high and there was a price to be had. He said, there's new believers in the Nuba Mountains now. And he said, and it was worth it all. It was worth it all. And sometimes the call of God will take you to dark places and to hard places and places you wouldn't choose. But listen, on the other side of that, there is someone that needs to know him. There is someone that's on the other side of your obedience that is waiting to have an encounter with Jesus so that they can experience abundant life. Live to take worthy risk. And here's the last thing and I'm, I'm done, I'm done. The last thing, I want you to write this down, though, is that you have to stir up his spirit within you. You have to stir up his spirit within you. I remember that as a, as a college kid that um, I, was, I was working at All Star and I was going to school and there was, I had a friend and her brother was like really nerdy and uh, he requested a meeting with me and so I told him I would meet with him at the office and... Um, because I didn't want to be by myself with him. And so he came in, and I thought he was, like, going to be like, I think God's told me to marry you, because I would hear that all the time from, like, all these guys that obviously didn't hear Jesus. And, and he, he sat down, and he said, the Lord gave me a word for you. And, and I was raised in the Baptist church, and so, like, when someone said God had a word for you, I didn't actually know what that meant. Um, And so this was kind of like outside of what I was thinking. And and he looked at me and he said, the Lord has said that you need to reconcile your obedience to the dignity of your birth. You need to reconcile your obedience to the dignity of your birth. And for months, I pondered on that. And the Lord just began to just really speak to me about, you know, what does that mean? What does it mean is, you know, we have to stir up the Spirit of God inside of us. You know, we all, when we get born again, we get the Holy Spirit, but, but you know, we have to keep continually being filled. You know, we like there's new wells that we are to drink from and new wells that spring up within us and we have to continually stir that up. Listen, it doesn't just happen. You don't just, like you have to press in. I love worship here. You know why? Because you keep pressing and pressing and pressing. And I think about Psalms 42 when, when David speaks to his soul, his mind, will, and emotion. He said, hope in God for you will praise him again. And he begins to speak to his soul because all of his enemies were coming against him, it looked like his whole world was falling apart, and he began to command his soul to hope in God. Do you know what happens when you're walking this Christian life? All hell comes against you in different arenas. Listen, if you don't have resistance in your life, then you are not an obedient Christian, because you will have resistance in your life from the enemy, and when you don't, it's because you're actually like on his plan and not God's. Because the kingdom of God suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. You have to fight against the resistance all the time. And so you have to stir up the spirit of God in you. And so you have to know, ladies and even men, everything your emotions tell you are not the truth. Our emotions lie to us. And so we have to go to the word of God and we have to have the spirit of God breathe on the scriptures and then explode inside of us and and then we're able to discern that emotion of offense. That's not God, that's not the truth. I feel disappointed, I feel angry, I feel betrayed, I, I, I feel offended, but God, I refuse to walk in offense. Why? Because the truth says that I am called to be unoffendable in your spirit. Blessed is the man that is not offended by me. And you call your soul to order. That is the stirring up of his spirit. It's when you begin to speak the truth and the promise and the word of God over your life, and you begin to call forth, and you begin to open yourself, and you pray with your eyes open like we did in the beginning, and you just begin to cry out to him, and you begin to ask him, God, I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know how to, God, but you teach me how to pray. I want the mind of Christ in all things. God, you lay your hand on your head and you just begin to, you've given me a sound mind. And all these thoughts that are contrary to soundness, I tell them to go to hell right now in the name and the authority of Jesus, because I've I've been not given a spirit of fear, but one of power, one of love, and one of sound mind. And every place the enemy's trying to steal your sound mind, you stir up the spirit of God inside of you and you begin to walk with the mind of Christ, the authority of Christ, and the emotion of Christ. Christ. And when you do these things, you are able to be used of God, but it's a choice. So we're going to have the invitation time now. Y'all have invitations on Sunday mornings, do you? Okay, good. Um, so I, I want to ask something. This, this, I, I shouldn't ask in front of everybody. Um, yeah, it's too late. I would really love for the worship team to receive you know, a lot of times worship teams, uh, you're, you're pouring out all the time. And, um, and if you would allow Adriana just to play your keyboard, and um, I would just like for her, and it, it, won't, it won't be as awesome as you guys. I mean, it's going to be good. No, I mean, she's good. She's good. But I mean, it's, it's, it's not a whole worship team. No, it's anointed. The Holy Spirit's on it. You're wonderful, Adriana. And, but but <laughs> that really came out the wrong way. <laughs> But <laughs> she did tell me that. But, but I, I want the worship team just to receive, and, and we're not going to extend this for a long time, but, but this is what I want is, is, is I don't want you to leave without responding. Like you can't hear truth and not respond. So everyone in this room, you are responsible to respond. Now you have a choice to respond that that was great, that was wonderful, and I'm leaving. Or I hated the message, and I'm leaving. Like you have a choice in this. Or you can say, you know what, God? My whole life I've walked in the brokenness, but I've never seen it whole in the cross. And today I wanna be whole. And maybe you're here today and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never had an encounter. Listen, you might have had religion, but you've never been able to overcome sin. You've never been able to look at the scriptures and understand it. You've never had the breath of God breathe over you and you know it. You hear people talk and it's a foreign language. And you're in the church and maybe you've prayed a prayer. I don't actually care. We have a lot of churches full of people that prayed sinners prayers, but they never got born again. And today God is saying, I want you to be born again. I want you to encounter me. And and so maybe today the invitation for you is I wanna be saved, like for real. Like I want the gospel you're talking about, not the one that I've been living. So I wanna ask you to stand. If you're here today and you're saying that that's me, that I I want to be born again. Like I, I want the real deal, I want the real deal I'm gonna ask you to come forward. You have to move, you have to make a decision. I want you to come because he wants to touch you. He wants to encounter you and he wants to breathe life on you. Thank you, thank you. Can I have one of the pastors come over? I just want, can you counsel with him? I want you to talk with him. Is there anyone else That you're saying that this is not the gospel that I have, but I want the real deal. Is there anyone else? Because listen, it's you know we can pray prayers, but listen, this is this is all it is. It's you throw your hands up and you say, Jesus, Jesus, I need you, and I want you, and I want you to invade my humanity, take over, take over, take over, and He wants to. He wants to recreate, right? Give you a new image to walk in. Breathe his spirit inside of you. Maybe you're here today and, right? It, it's, it's you, you do have the gospel. You know it, like you know, I belong to Jesus, but I'm a wilderness Christian. I have got a lot of Egypt in me. You know what? Today I'm making a declaration. Egypt goes to hell. I'm going after my promise. I'm going after the promised land. No longer will I be defined by what happened in my slavery but starting today, I make a declaration before the Lord and before the congregation. I'm going, I'm crossing my Jordan today. If that is you, I want you to come to the front. I want you to boldly come to the front and say that's me, I'm crossing over. Come on, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Come on, come on. Thank you, Jesus. This is where the world gets turned upside down. This is where the world gets turned upside down. Come on. I want you to open your hands. And I just want you to begin to pray to the Lord, say, Jesus, today I refuse to be a slave anymore. I will no longer be defined by my past. From this day forward, I'm asking you to circumcise my heart. I'm willing to face the giants. And I want the promise. And I just want you to have a moment with the Holy Spirit. When you know you know the places where you've been a slave, you know the places where the enemy has held you hostage, just give it to him. Maybe it's places where you've been angry. Just tell him about it. Tell him, God, God I've been angry with you been angry because because I I felt like you set me up for failure. Just, Just tell him, his shoulders are broad enough. Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray that you would unleash, Father, Father, your healing. Just begin to unleash it.